Welcome, Sister, um, into uh, Voice of the Cape's uh, studio, Sister Hind Usman, who's originally from Taraba State in Nigeria and had gone on to study and graduated with a BSc in microbiology from the University in Nigeria before going on to the UK to do her master's and graduating with an MSc in environmental management. She's currently undergoing Islamic studies, intensive Arabic and Islamic studies in uh, Cape Town and is in studio with us today. Well, mashallah, I had to insist that she joins us because about two weeks ago, uh, the ladies of um, Cape Town managed to get to listen to uh, Sister Hind uh, do a lovely uh, nasiha on Um Salama. So today we've got her in for that, but we also wanted to give us a window into life in Nigeria. We all have an understanding of what Nigeria is, and it need not necessarily be that way. I think quite often when people hear South Africa, they're either thinking that we're running around with lions and elephants or that we are like <laughs> filled with gangs on, on every corner. So um, Sister Hind is going to give us a window into Nigeria. Asalaamu Alaikum, Sister. Walaikum Asalaam, Sister Taslima. MashaAllah, shukran so much for joining us on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. It is actually a great honor on my part. Thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah. So you've been the last year in Cape Town. How has it been going? Yeah, I think life in Cape Town is actually very interesting because that was not the notion that I had before coming here. I almost didn't come. Really? Because, yeah, because of all the things that you will he- you can you hear about. Okay, so tell us what 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 you would hear about South Africa because that's quite interesting. It's like you know, what did you have? What was your perspective of South Africa and Cape Town before coming here? Actually, um, I would say that I've not had so many good things about South Africa because um, when you're outside South Africa, all you hear is about the gangster, the crime, the AIDS and all that. So when I made my intention of coming to South Africa, my family were actually, no, you're not going to go there. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But then coming here, I've realized that it's not all that you hear Mm -hmm. is true. Because Mm -hmm. coming here, I've not had anyone bad experience Mm -hmm. for the past seven months that I've been here. And all the people that I met are good people, very warm people and very welcoming so I think South Africa has a lot more to offer than what people like hear about outside. Exactly. You know, uh, Sister Hin, that's so um, that's so interesting because I think people have an understanding, a mixed understanding of what Nigeria is all about as well in terms of um, the criminals that we have caught on the side quite often in terms of prostitution and drugs and those things that are difficult situations in our community and quite often associated with Nigeria. If not that, then recently in the media where we've heard the kidnappings and those things. But you've grown up there, and I'm sure Nigeria is much bigger than the actual crime, Like as in South Africa is much bigger. There's just so much more to us here, like you've experienced. Do you yeah, want to give exactly. us in, a window into what Nigeria really is, growing up as a little girl, I mean, into your adulthood? What is Nigeria? Um, yeah, Sister Taslima, Nigeria is a very big country mm-hmm. and we have a lot like segmented into the same 
in the, into the country. So there are parts of Nigeria where it's very peaceful and it's very calm and you find people who are loving and caring, living in communities and all that. And I would say that most parts of Nigeria is like that. Mm -hmm. Most of the issues that we have of crime and corruption is in the far eastern part of the country. And that is why uh, the experiences you have of Nigerians here is all about that because this is where all the people are like concentrated. I wouldn't say we don't have crimes in the parts where I live, but it's very, very minimal and you hardly hear about it. Mm -hmm. It is really safe growing up in Nigeria. We live in like big communities. We don't have issues of people living on the streets and all that. So I would say that the picture that people have of Nigeria, outside Nigeria, is actually very different from when you go into the country. Although right now we are facing a lot of issues with the extremist groups that, we, that are coming up in mostly the parts where I live, like the northern part of Nigeria. But it's still, as I would say, the size of the country makes the number of those people very negligible compared to every other person that is living there. Mm -hmm. So when you're there, you don't actually feel that. There is no issues of uns like insecurity and all that. You don't feel it. It's very safe. It's very warm. It's very welcoming. And I will say all the people are very hospitable. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. That's that's quite interesting, Hin. But you you grew up and you obviously studied and you went you went over to university and stuff. I would like you to tell us a bit about the Muslim community there and the women of Nigeria, as in progressing and and going into careers like you have. Um, the Muslim community in Nigeria is, is uh, we have very strong Muslim communities. But then we also have um, a bit of a sect thing happening between the Salafis and the Sufis and all that. So, but other than that, I will say that Islam is very strong mm -hmm. in Nigeria because, uh, you know, the country is divided into four parts, the northern, the southern, the eastern, and the western part. And both the northern and the western part of Nigeria are mostly Muslims. And I will say that Islam is actually really strong, really like the majority of the country and all that. Mm -hmm. So growing up as a girl, I was given a lot of privileges because um, my uncle, as I informed you earlier, that I lost my father at a very young age and all that. So I grew up with my auntie and my uncle. My uncle was a medical doctor. He was able to live in the UK. He had a very liberal mind. And he gave us all the opportunity to go out, to read, like to study and be who we can be. But there are other people like um, in some other parts of the country where they believe that a girl, her role is in the home and all that. So the farthest a girl can go is to the maybe secondary school, the high school. And so going to the university is a no-go. <laughs> And so, but things are changing. Alhamdulillah. Now Alhamdulillah. we see a lot of women going into the university, developing in their careers, contributing to the community. So I think things are really changing, and it's really a positive change for the country. 
Well, Hind, looking at your studies, right, you, you started out with um, microbiology, then into environmental management, and now Islamic studies. Yeah. Okay, what is the, where, where are you headed to from here? Um, I am thinking of doing like both, like being in both of the two places. Like I am, I am now, I'm, going, I'm shortlisted for a PhD program in microbiology and biotechnology. So this is in Nigeria? No, that's in the UK. Oh, okay, mashallah. So, and I, I'm here to study Arabic and Islamic studies because I believe the key thing in every, everyone's life is religion. Mm -hmm. So if you can get that right, everything else will fall into place. So having the Islamic knowledge is very important for me because I also have a lot of plans that I want to like introduce back in my country to help the women, to help especially the widows and the orphans. So I, that is why I postponed my PhD program to come here to have that knowledge so that by the time I get back home, it will be easier for me to be able to um, pass whatever experiences, whatever knowledge I have across to the people that are really put it, need. put it to good use yeah inshallah. inshallah do you want to speak to me a bit about um your intentions with the orphans um yeah <laughs> i will like to do that Salima. um growing up as an as an orphan i think i was privileged to have a lot of things that many don't have because i had a family that loved me very much i had an, an uncle that was more like a father to me. I've never known any father like oh, him. him. Yeah. So I think I was privileged, but it still didn't remove like the fact that I was an orphan. Mm -hmm. Because there are some times that you just see things and you just feel like, how is it going to be if my father was around and all that. So most orphans grow up very lonely and very left out in so many things. So you will find them being emotionally unstable and somehow distressed. So I just feel like having a bit of that experience, if I have an orphanage, I can be able to be there for them. I know that I cannot be able to replace their loss, like their fathers or their mothers, but showing love, constantly being there, knowing that they have someone to actually run, run back to and all that, I think will make a lot of a difference in their lives. So I just, my intention was to have an organization which will take care of the orphans, those that are not like fortunate enough to have family to take care of them, and also a structure that will be there for orphans wherever they are. Whenever they need something like advice or financially or anything like that, we can be able to come in and assist them. So that is actually what I'm thinking of. And I just hope that I will find like the opportunity to be able to execute that. Inshallah. Sister, microbiology and environmental management, where does that fit in? I think microbiology has a lot mm. of um, connection with environmental management because mm -hmm. there is an aspect of microbiology, mm -hmm. which is environmental microbiology. And the things we see now in environmental management is all about keeping the environment safe, uh, maintaining the 
pure state of the environment and all that. And the best way to do that is through the use of biological systems, which is mostly microbiology. Mm-hmm. So I was reading some, I can't remember on which paper recently that um, some scientists were able to find a, a microorganism that can be able to disintegrate plastic. Oh. You know, plastic has been a menace for the environment. Mm. So, but recently they were able to find a microorganism that can disintegrate it completely yes. into the environment. So I think you cannot separate microbiology from environmental management. It's something that is fused in together. And in order to achieve success in managing the environment successfully, efficiently, you have to introduce microorganisms. Interesting. Microbiology, yeah. Interesting. And then now we're doing this (coughs) one-year intensive course in Cape Town. And um, we managed to meet at a record where you did the Nasiha on Um Salama. So I think that really captured my heart and my interest at first. Yeah. Um, But uh, do you you want to uh, open up on that? Yeah, inshallah. Inshallah. Um, As you know, Sister Salima, and my viewers out there. Salima must be laughing because this happens to us often. Salima. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the names are so alike. So similar, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Mm. So, Umu Salama, yes. everyone knows her by the name Umu Salama. Mm-hmm. She was the mo- one of the mothers of the believers. And she like stayed with the Messenger Salama for Salamu the last alayhi seven alayhi. years mm-hmm. of his life. But her original name actually was Hind bint Abu Umayya al-Makhzumi. Nobody knows that. I myself never knew that. Uh, so why wow, how you, you, ended up, uh, you ended up doing the Nasiha on the same name? Yeah, because, you know, while growing up, having a name like Hindu back in Nigeria was not easy. Uh, it wasn't a very popular name. I, when I did it as well on the post, I was like, is, um, I was like, mm, like, Okay, I, was, I, I wasn't sure what was going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it wasn't really easy having hint like for a name and all yeah. that. While growing up, people have to like constantly ask me, what's that your name again and all that. And when I say hint, they will all go blank like, what does it mean? Yeah. So I grew up not liking my name. Uh. And to top it up, when we got to watch the message and all that, so... Whenever I tell people that my name is Hind, they just refer, like, relate me with Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, like, you killed Hamza. (laughs) And it really pains me. Sometimes I used to cry so hard. So one day I went to my mother and told her that I'm definitely going to change my name. I don't like it. Uh. She was like, why? It's a beautiful name. I said, no, because people always accuse me that I killed Hamza and all that. So my mother told me that, no, I was not named after that's him, but after him, the wife of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I couldn't Salaam. believe it because <laughs> I never knew there was a wife called him. Yes. So when my mother told me that, it sparked my interest and I started researching, finding things about her. And really, Salima, it really changed my life because the life of him is a biography or a story that every single woman should know. Mm-hmm. Because it tells you how to be a mother and a woman in the society. It shows you how to strike a balance between motherhood and 
um, like your role as a woman, your role as someone who is building the community, reforming the society and all that. So I think it's really something that every person needs to have. Every woman needs to tell to their children and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really very interesting and Okay, so so then let's go into the actual the the actual um, uh, nasiha. But I think let's just take a quick break and then we'll start. Eat, pray, love with Taslima Ali. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to Eat Play Love on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. If you've just joined us, we've got in studio Sister Hind Usman, who is giving, who has given us a beautiful insight into her life in Nigeria, having grown up as an orphan but having graduated, mashallah, and excelled wonderfully in her education, and now currently based in Cape Town, and um, doing a one-year intensive Islamic course. But last week or the week before. She had done an asiha uh, for a public ladies gathering um, on Um Salama, and mashallah, just before the break, she had just opened as to how wonderful Um Salama is, and how we all, all our sisters, need to look into her history and really take wisdom from it. So, Hind, you want to continue on that? Yeah, inshallah. Okay, Bismillah. So, as I was saying, Sister Um Salama. Her real name was Hind bint Abu Umayya, and she was from the tribe of Banu Makzum, which is a tribe of Quraysh, um, known as Banu Makzum. So her father was the chief of the tribe. His name was Suhail bin Al-Mughira, and he was known for his extreme generosity, especially to the travelers. As a result of that, people nicknamed him or gave him the title of Zadur Rakib, meaning the provision for the traveler. So I think Umu Salama was surrounded by very beautiful qualities. And as a result of that, she herself was also an embodiment of beautiful characters and qualities. She combined beauty with lineage and <laughs> with lineage and, and extreme, extreme, like amazing intellect. So Umm Salama, before being married to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was married to his cousin and his foster brother Abu Salama, who, who is also, um, his original name is also Abdullah ibn Abdul Asad. So they lived a very happy life. And when the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam proclaimed Islam, they were amongst the first to become Muslims. And just like every other Muslim at that time, they were heavily persecuted by their family. And as a result of that, when the Muslims were allowed to go to Abyssinia, Umu Salama and Abu Salama were among the first 16 people to make that migration. So they went all the way to Abyssinia. They lived there for a while. And all the hadith that we hear about the life of the Muslims in Abyssinia were actually narrated, most of it were narrated by Umu Salama radiallahu what a beautiful woman. So after being in Abyssinia for a while, she always says that although they feel very, uh, very p 
peaceful like life in Abyssinia was very peaceful and they, they always felt at home but they really really felt this attachment to Mecca they always felt homesick and they wanted to be near the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam so when a new news reached them that Umar bin al-Khattab and Sayyidina Hamza radiallahu anhu embraced Islam and that life in Mecca has actually become a bit more tolerant, uh, tolerant and all that favorable for the Muslims, they decided to make another journey back to Mecca. So amongst the group that went back to Mecca were Usman bin Affan and then Umm Salama and her husband and a few other Muslims. Going back to Mecca, however, they realized that nothing has changed. It was all a rumor and that the persecution has actually intensified. So, but they've already been there, so they just decided to stay back. So Muslims went back to Abyssinia, but Umm Salama and her husband decided to stay back in Mecca. So shortly after that, the Nabi Salama gave another permission for the Muslims to migrate to Medina. And again, Umm Salama and Abu Salama were amongst the first people to make that decision of going to Medina, leaving behind everything, their life, their identity, their wealth, and their family. They decided to leave everything for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine what it means to be a refugee, mm -hmm. having no guarantee of what life you're going to have in the place you're moving to and all that. But they made that choice solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised that whoever sacrifices something for his sake, he is always going to reward him with something better and all that. So Umm Salama and Abu Salama decided to make their migration. However, before they could leave, news leaked to their families that they are leaving. And so the families intervened took away her, her child from her. Her husband prevented her from making the migration with her husband. And she narrates this in a hadith. And I think the only way you can understand the pain she felt after this happened is to narrate it to you in her own words. So if you can permit me, I'm going to tell you the entire scenario in the words of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. So Umm Salama said that on the day of their migration with Abu Salama, he prepared them a camel, put her on the camel, put her child on her lap, and took the reins heading towards Medina. So before they could leave Mecca, however, their families, both their families, um, caught up with them. And so her family, first of all, told her husband that he has no right to go with her. It is his life. He can do whatever he wants with it. But she is their daughter, and they have more power and control over her. So they took the reins of the camel from him. While that was happening, his family then told her family that, yeah, you can have her because she is your daughter, but her son belongs to us, and we have more rights over her. So she was holding on to her child, and they pulled him away from her to, the, to an extent that they dislocated his shoulder. So they took her child away from her. Her husband was overpowered. He couldn't do anything. So he decided to go to Medina alone. Umm Salama was left alone with her family, without her child and her husband. And she always cried every day from noon. She said she leaves her house, go to the exact spot where it happens, and she will cry till sunset. Imagine crying. That type of pain. 
Imagine, yeah, that, that, what kind of pain will make you cry for an hour or two? Imagine that, but then she doesn't. She does not cry for just one hour. Status Lima, she cries till sunset, and that continued for a whole year. <laughs> so, after that, one day she was crying, and a person from another tribe was walking by. He saw her. He felt pity for her, and so he went to plead with her family to let her go join her husband in Medina. They after. A little pleading, they agreed to do that, but she still couldn't leave because her son was in her husband's her in-laws. So uh, some other group of people went to her in-laws and pleaded with them to give her back her son. So Umar Salama said that immediately her son was returned back to her. She didn't want to wait until she finds someone to travel with her. So she decided to make that journey on her own from Makkah to Medina, which is like a journey of 12 to 18 days. A woman with no, pro no one to protect her, only her and her child, taken on that journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, entirely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Umm Salama tells us so many things with what this incident that happened in her life. How many times have we found ourselves, Sister Taslima, at the first test or trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, throwing everything that we believed in, questioning why me, why is this happening to me, feeling like Allah is being unfair to us. A lot of people have gone through that and mostly whenever we are faced with a little calamity, the first thing we do is to start questioning. But however, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us rewards, blesses us with his blessings and all that, we forget entirely to thank him. We forget, we don't question why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessing me. So Umm Salama has taught us how to respond in, the time, in times of calamity. When she was asked, has she ever, when all this was happening to her, has she ever for once blamed Islam for what she was going through? Umm Salama said no. I never for once blamed Islam because I've, I, rea I knew that it was only a trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Amazing. Subhanallah. <laughs> so all I, I would like to reach out to whoever is listening to me right now to always, always, whenever we are faced with calamity, we don't have to go around complaining to people, mm. trying to get pity from people because these people cannot change whatever situation we are in all they could say is sorry they, they cannot change our situations Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that power to do that whatever happens to us happens by his will and it is only him that can change it so the first thing we need to do is to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah just as he provided a way for Umm Salama radiallahu anha, he will also provide a way for us. So when all this happened to Umm Salama, her son was given back to her, she prepared her camel and she started on her way to Medina. And so before she could go further, she met Uthman bin Talha radiallahu anhu. He was a mushrik at the time, he did not embrace Islam. And so Uthman asked her, where are you going, O daughter of Zad al-Raqib? So she replied to him, she's going to Medina to join her husband. And so he asked, who are you going with? 
She said, by Allah, I am not going with anyone except Allah and my son. And so he's, he decided he was not going to let her go on, on her own. So he was going to take her to Medina. And he told her, by Allah, I'm not going to leave you until I take you to Medina to your husband. So he took the reins of the camel and they started on their journey. So Umm Salama informed us of the character of Usman bin Talha as well. She said she has never met any Sahaba who is so kind and generous like Usman bin Talha. Whenever they are moving in their journey, when it's time for them to rest, Uthman will stop the camel and move a bit further away from her so that she can have her privacy to uh, get down from the camel. And then when she is down from the camel, he will come take the camel and move away. And afterwards, he will come when it's time for them to continue on their journey. He will bring the camel and then move away for her to climb onto the camel. And then he will come back and take the reins. That happened for 16 to 18 days. And so by the time they got to a village near Cuba, he told her that your husband is in this village. Go within the protection of Allah. And he turned on his way and returned back to Mecca. So this also should tell us that whenever there's an opportunity, like to help someone in need, imagine Uthman left everything he was doing and went on that journey for 16 to 18 days. And another 16 to 18 days going to Mecca, what for? In order to protect a woman to tr uh, to help a woman who was in need so whenever we find ourselves we need in any situation we need to do our best because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also promised that whoever helps another Muslim in need he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help him when relieving him from his problems and all that so it was said that Uthman did not accept Islam until the conquest of Mecca and on the conquest of Mecca, something interesting actually happened. He locked the Kaaba and went on top of the Kaaba because his family were in charge of taking care of the Kaaba. So when the messenger and the Muslims were coming into Mecca, he locked the Kaaba and climbed onto the roof of the Kaaba. And when the Muslims came, the messenger was trying to open the door and have access into the room. But nobody could find Usman. Sayyidina Ali had to climb onto the roof and then told him, the Messenger is here, he wants to enter, the, give us the key. He said, no, if I had believed that he was the Messenger, I wouldn't have locked the door. So Sayyidina Ali had to snatch the key away from him, took it to the Messenger And so after the Messenger made his two rakats of Sunnah Salah, Uthman was, um, uh, Al-Abbas, the uncle to the Messenger told him, Ya Rasulullah, our family are in charge of like feeding, giving water to the pilgrims, give us this key. It will be like a double, um, like something good for the family of the Nabi Sallallahu But then the Nabi Sallallahu told Al-Abbas that Jibril just came down to inform me to return the key to Uthman bin Talha. Subhanallah, why is that? And so the messenger gave the key back to Uthman bin Talha. When Uthman received the key, he was like, Ali, you were just like about to kill me. And mm. now you're returning the key to me. Ali informed him of what happened. And so he embraced Islam. And Jibril came down again to inform the Messenger Salama, to inform Uthman that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that the key will remain with his family until the day of judgment.
Subhan, well, we need to go in for a quick ad break, and definitely when we come back, we'll continue with Sister Henders. Eat, pray, love with Taslima Ali. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. If you've just tuned in, we have Sister Hindusman uh, joining us in studio with a wonderful Nasihan Um Salama. And I know I've been gripped, and hopefully you've been too. And a wonderful opening to this beautiful Women's Month that we have coming up this month. So, Sister Hind, I don't want to keep you too long. I want you to just uh, bismillah and carry on because unfortunately we're running into our last few minutes and it's just so interesting oh salamu alaikum so as i was saying earlier uthman bin talha was given the honor of having to um maintain the kaaba having the key of the kaaba with his family until the day of judgment by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all because he did an action sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What was the action? He escorted Ummu Salama across the desert between mm. Makkah to Medina. Like, uh, he escorted selflessly. her selflessly without getting anything in return. Without expecting mm. anything in return. So after that, um, Ummu Salama was reunited with her husband. And so they lived a very happy life. She gave birth to three more children, and Abu Salama was a very strong warrior of Islam. He took part in the two major battles, that the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. And it was said that Umm Salama used to always accompany her husband in jihad. So what a power! You can see the power mm-hmm. in this woman. So Abu Salama was unfortunately injured in the Battle of Uhud. And so while he was bedridden, he was lying there bedridden for over a month, the wound appeared to be healed from the outside. However, it was still fresh from the inside without him knowing that. So the Messenger received a report that there's a tribe of Jews, that's the Banu Asad, who were planning on attacking the Muslims in Medina. So he put Abu Salama at the head of an exhibition of 150 Muslims to go to the tribe of Banu Banu Asad and to go and fight them. So Abu Salama went there, he fought very bravely and the Muslims came back victorious with a lot of war booty. So, but unfortunately his wounds got reinfected and so he remained bedridden until his death. But there's this amazing side of Ummu Salama that we, we, we are able to see while he was still um, lying, wh- while her husband was sick. Ummu Salama one day went to her husband and told him that she once had a hadith of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that if a man, a Muslim man, who dies a Muslim and a mu'min, and his wife, a Muslim woman, dies a Muslim and a mu'min, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will reward them without ever getting married after the other partner passes away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, re- will reunite them in Jannah. So she's promising to her husband, the Abu Salama, I am giving, I am promising to you now that after your passing, I am not going to marry anyone. 
and I want to be reunited with you in Jannah. So I want you to give me the same promise. If if I die before you, will you get married, or like that you will not get married, and we will the two of us will be reunited in Jannah? So Abu Salama looked at her and he smiled. So he told her, Umu Salama, if I tell you something, will you listen to me? She said yes. Then he told her, Mari, Umu Salama. After me, Mari. And then he raised his hands up to the skies and prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, give Umu Salama a husband that, is, that will love her and he will not do anything to harm her. Subhanallah. So after that incident, Abu Salama, shortly after that, he passed away. And so Umm Salama also tells us of another incident that happened before he passed away. That one day he, he narrated to her a hadith that he had from the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That whoever is stricken with a calamity and recites this dua, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Meaning from Allah we come and to him we shall return. Allahumma ajirni fi musibati. O Allah reward me for my calamity. Wa akhluf li khairan minha and compensate me with something better than it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his problem easy for him and will compensate him with something better than that. Amen. So Umm Salama, upon the passing of her husband, remembered that dua. And so she recited, she began to recite it. But when she reached the state where she will say, compensate me with, with something better than it, she stopped herself because she could not imagine who will ever be better than Abu Salama. She said to herself, who can ever be better than Abu Salama? So for that reason, she did not complete, she was not able to complete the dua. But then she kept on trying and trying until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easy for her and she was able to complete the dua. So after a few months, after she finished her idda, Umm Salama received a proposal from Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Imagine that. Mm. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, the best of all companions. The closest to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The father to his beloved wife. So Umm Salama received that. Who could ever think that she would even have that sort of like proposal from Sayyidina Bakr? But Umm Salama declined the proposal. Why? Because some people say she was still, still maybe thinking of keeping the promise she made, she made to her husband. But Allahu, Allahu alam. Nobody knows that. So after that, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu proposed to her. And Umm Salama declined the second closest person to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She declined that proposal as well. And so, and so, Umm Salama was tagged like as the widow of the Arabs because no one could come to propose to her anymore after rejecting Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr. So the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam after a while sent her a proposal. And she remained silent. She did not respond to that. And then after some time, he went to propose to her on his own. And so she told him, Ya Rasulullah, I think I am not worthy of being the wife of the Nabi Sallallahu because of three issues that I have with me. And so she said to him, the first issue is she is a woman who is extremely jealous. And she fears that as a result of her jealousy, he will see something in her that he will not like and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be angry at her. So and the second reason is she is a woman who has advanced in age and that she is a woman who has children. So it was said that Umm Salama was 
around 30 to 35 years of age at the time. And so the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi responded to our concerns by saying that, as for your jealousy, I will ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to lift it away from you. And as for your children, they are my family. And as for your age, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, I am also stricken with the same calamity as you. <laughs> Imagine the humor in that. Yes. So meaning that he is also older than her. Yes. And so Umm Salama, upon hearing that she agreed to the proposal of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and they were married at the fourth year of Hijra, in the fourth year of Hijra. So Umm Salama was described as a woman who was very kind to everyone around her. And her life with the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was full of love, mercy, and compassion. And it was said that he, didn't, he Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had a special form of respect for Umm Salama. Why? Because, yes, she is older than all his wives, but the most important is because she is a woman who is full of wisdom, and she has a very strong intellect. So, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, it was said that he used to consult with her in matters that relates to the mu'amalat of the Sahaba. And she always used to like, she's a woman who is very inquisitive and very eager to learn. So she always used to like ask him of questions or like engage him in discussions and all that. And it was also said that Umm Salama was a very beautiful and extremely beautiful woman. And that was confirmed by our dear mother, um, Aisha radiallahu anha. She said that when Umm Salama was married to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, she, before the marriage, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam described her to them. And so she felt a little bit of jealousy. And she was waiting that, yeah, let her come. And I'm going to like confirm with my eyes. So when Umm Salama came to the house, said Sayyida Aisha went to see her. And she said that by Allah, she was more beautiful than he described her. Subhanallah. And you know that the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is always very eloquent in his descriptions. <laughs> that Indeed. is how we got the sunnah and yes. everything else. So Umm Salama was very brave. She, she went with the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in seven exhibitions. She was the first amongst his wives to go in jihad with him. She, she was very intelligent, and an example of her intelligence is in the, battle, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, where the Muslims were planning on going to Mecca for Umrah. And so when the Kuffar of Mecca prevented them from doing that, the Nabi Salama and the elders of the Quraysh decided to agree on a treaty. And so the Muslims... The conditions that were imposed on the Muslims by the Quraysh were very strict conditions, which the Sahaba felt that it was being unfair upon the Muslims. So they were very angry. They, that when the Prophet ﷺ accepted to the treaty, they were not happy because they could not see the wisdom in him agreeing to such conditions. So when he told them to break their ihram by slaughtering, their sacrificing their animal and cutting off their hair, none of the Sahabas moved to obey his command. So the Nabi became worried and concerned. And so he went to Umm Salama and related to her what was happening. And so Umm Salama told him not to worry. 
she should not say anything to the Sahaba. She just go out, sacrifice his animal, and get someone to cut his hair, and he will see that they will follow. They will like follow him naturally. Mm-hmm. So the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went out and did exactly what he what she advised him to, and so the Sahaba were rushing. To, to, do be, the same. to do the same because you know the sahaba are always so eager to, to copy do the sunnah of the nabi sallallahu yes. so subhanallah umm salama saved the muslim ummah a great calamity that would have unfolded as a result of their rejection of the orders of the nabi sallallahu so umm salama was also um she was also someone that most of the sahabas consult during when they are in a state of maybe difficulty or confusion and all that so and we can we we are able to see that in a hadith of abdul abdraman ibn abdul auf abdraman bin auf sorry when he related to us that when he had a hadith of the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam that there are some men among the sahaba that he will not see in jannah so he became worried and went to umm salama and told her ya umm salama i am a person who is very rich so I feel that my wealth will be in my way and on the day of judgment I will not be able to see the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So she advised him to give as much as he can in charity. She was a hafiza of the Quran. She was able to memorize the entire Quran during her lifetime. She narrated 378 hadith, amongst which 13 are sahih contained in both Buhari and Muslim. The others are also sahih, but 13 are agreed upon by Buhari and Muslim. So she also taught a lot of the Sahabas. She, she was also very compassionate and very kind to children because it was also said that she used to breastfeed the ch- children of her slaves. An example of such is uh, Al Hassan al-Basri. He was the son of her slave girl and if the mother of Hassan was busy doing other things and Hassan was hungry, Umm Salama was like the uh, her, his foster mother she used to breastfeed him and as a result of that he grew up into a very strong tabi in a very wise and a person that is full of wisdom and all that so umm salama i think is a combination of many things there is no one way you can describe her she was a mujahida she was a sahabia she was a scholar she was a teacher she was a wife and she was a, uh, a mother and i think the only way we can describe her that is most befitting to her is that the, as, the, as the wife of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Alayhi the mother Alayhi. of the believers. So, um, Sister Taslima, I think <coughs> she, Umm Salama, is able to show us how a woman can be strong and at the same time maintain her femininity. Yes. Because we are, we are in a society in an era where we see women going all out, competing with men in office, losing their womanhood. So knowing the life of Umm Salama will be able to help us strike that balance, that most required balance. We, we, it will be able to empower us on how to be mothers and at the same time be strong women, builders of the community. And And it really, <laughs> I can't, you know what, mashallah, I need to say it's been absolutely wonderful, um, Sister Hind. I think you've given us a 
beautiful window, not only into the state of Nigeria, but also into the life of Um Salama. And I think it's something that we can all treasure, especially in this beautiful month of Women's Month in August, where, um, where we, we really celebrate women and that importance to strike a balance. It's something that we sometimes tend to neglect. And with you today, you've conveyed a very, very important message. I need to say shukran to you for joining us on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. It's Thank definitely not going to be the last. But <laughs> shukran so much, sister. And inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to illuminate your path with nur and mohabbat. And, and lots of barakah, inshallah. And inshallah. may you be successful in all of your studies and all of your endeavors. Amen, amen. Thank you. And may much. this be a first to many, many, many um, insights, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you very much, Salima. And thank you very much for whoever that is out there <laughs> listening to us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.